coming to you live from Canada. Here comes your game-changing, life-transforming turning point moment. Ahem. Yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church. Powered by hope, not hype. Online at engagechurch.ca. We're, we're continuing our series, Campfire Stories. And what, we're, what we've been doing, and we're kind of rolling into the summer with this, is we're taking these these biblical accounts, these stories, some of them you're very familiar with, some of them you might not be, you might be hearing them for the first time, and we're kind of digging into them and extracting the principles for our everyday life, because here's what happens. We, we read the Bible, uh, some of us like it, some of us are learning to like it, and, and we read it, and we're like, okay, this is awesome, this is amazing, God is so good, he, all, he did all those amazing things back then, and then we close it and we go on with our day. But I wonder what might happen to us if we started opening up the book, reading the Bible, going, oh, man, that's amazing what God did. If God did that then, why isn't he doing that now? I wonder what might happen to our church service or to your coffee in the morning. I wonder what might happen to your office, to your school, if we, if we said, hey, it's one thing to read the story, but you know it's amazing living the story. You know, Jesus uttered these words that this is, uh, that greater things are going to be coming. And it's not that greater things are going to be coming when Jesus comes back. He says, I'm setting a baseline. I'm establishing like this, this line of faith here. And that's just where you're going to get started. Here's the thing. We read these Bible stories and we're like, wow, that's amazing. Look what God did. And, and I think Jesus' perspective to us is like, wow, how don't you get that this was just the first level? That was just the beginning. So when we read these and we're overwhelmed with, I don't know if God could even do this, and I certainly don't think God could do this through me, what we discover is that God uses all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds. Today, he's using a nice man who's an encourager and a terrorist, <laughs> and he's using them to incite a riot, which is awesome. Not that we're hoping to incite a riot in the city of Spruce Grove, but hey, I'm going to say worse things could happen. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Who's got a real hard copy, physical Bible? One, two. No, not who has one at home. All right, well, we usually hover around three. If you're using the version Bible, we're reading out the New Living Translation today. We're going to be starting at verse 13. If you're ready, no, yeah, 13. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. <laughs> All right, let's go home. No one's ready. Okay, verse 13. Paul and his companions left Paphos for a ship on Paphilia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But both Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. Antioch of Pisidia. I don't know if you've heard about this kid. Um, there was a Dutch kid, and he was planning his, his like, gap year trip, and he decided that he was going to go to Sydney, Australia. Did you hear about this guy? And uh, so he, he's booking all his flights, and he's Googling, and he discovered that they, there's, like, one cheap, one, like, most of the flights were about 1,000 euro for him, and he discovered this one flight was 700 euro. So he booked the flight, went to the airport, got on. He was really pumped. He was excited. He has passport. He has a suitcase. He's going to go, and he's just going to spend all of winter, the, you know, in Australia, jumps on his plane, and as he looks at the map, he sees that it's going this way and not this way. And what he didn't realize is that he booked his flight to Sydney, Nova Scotia, instead of <laughs> Sydney, Australia. 
So he's going to spend his winter in Nova Scotia, maybe not Australia. And that's, I don't, that's maybe a good thing. That's maybe a bad thing. I don't know. I've never been to Nova Scotia. I hear it's beautiful. But he decided to call his dad and get on the next flight back uh, to Amsterdam. So that's kind of, that's kind of where, where we're at right here is that these guys, Paul and Barnabas, are going to Antioch of Pisidia. In the Bible, there's two Antiochs. There's one that's in Syria, and there's another one in Turkey. This one is the one that's in Turkey. We can get confused. Uh, you know, John, the, the apostle, uh, he was a pastor, and he led you know, in Antioch. And then there's this uh, Antioch of Pisidia, two very different cities. The one over in, in Syria that we read about also in the Bible uh, had lots of Christians, lots of early Christians, people that were persecuted, fled out there. There's a lot of early Coptic Christians, and they all live in this area, and there's well-populated churches. Antioch of Pisidia uh, is a whole different kind of animal where there's a, a number of Jews, but there's a whole bunch of people who have never heard anything about Jesus, never heard anything about the Bible, and so they just feel like they're on a missionary trip. We might as well go to the place where nobody knows anything about Jesus, and they decided to just go show up at the synagogue. So Paul and Barnabas show up at the synagogue. See, that's the problem with the paper body. you got to turn the page. On Sabbath... After the usual readings from the book of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. Now, you might think, nobody knows who these guys are. Why would anyone give them, essentially give them a microphone? Because let's be honest, we may have some guests you know, from out of town, but if I don't know you, you're not coming up here. It's just not a thing that's going to be happening. So why would they do that? Well, we have to understand that. Barnabas was, uh, sorry, Paul was trained by one of the, the greatest rabbis around. His, his knowledge and his understanding was at depths that, that many of these Jews would have heard of even before he converted when he was known as Saul, not Paul. So when they come, they're like, man, this guy, he sat under some of the greatest teachers. We might as well give these guys an opportunity to speak and share. So Paul stood up and he lifted his hand to quiet them and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. There he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All of this took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So this is Paul, just he's just preaching. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, do you think I am the Messiah? No, I'm not, but he is coming soon, and I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals of his feet. Verse 26, brothers, you sons of Abraham, and also you God-fearing Gentiles which is you, by the way, a God-fearing Gentile. The message of salvation has been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him, and in doing this, they fulfilled the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. 
They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyways. When they had done all that, the prophecy said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors, and God now has fulfilled it for us. Their descendants by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. For God has promised to raise him from the dead not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessings I promised to David. Another psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. This is not a reference to David. For after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. No, it was a reference to someone else, someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. Brothers, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. This is the good news right here, verse 39. Everyone, let's turn to somebody and say everyone. Say it like you mean everyone. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. Be careful, don't let the prophet's words apply to you, for they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die. Wow. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if somebody told you about it. As Paul and Barnabas left it, then they dropped the mic and walk away, because that's pretty much enough. If If you finish your message with, look, you mockers, be amazed and die, it's probably a good time to leave. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things next week. Can you tell us to die again next week? That'd be amazing. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue on the grace of God. That's a lot of verses that I just read there, but sometimes, you know, we got to dig into it and bring it to flesh, but I'm just going to let Paul preach because Paul was preaching a good message. All he was doing was running through the history of Israel because he was talking, understand his audience, he was talking to a synagogue, to Jewish believers. So he runs through Jewish history and he says, listen, this is what God did. This is what God did. This is what God did. Against all odds, he raised you up in Egypt. Against all odds, he broke you out. Against all odds, he fed you in a desert while you wandered for 40 years. Against all odds, he rose up a king even though he thought maybe it was a better idea for him to be king. Against all God, he put in a new king who was a man after his own heart. Against all odds, he sent Jesus who is the descendant of the king after his own heart, so that you could be saved, so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Nobody cares about the good news of Jesus Christ in this room right now. Let me try this again. So, against all odds... He sent Jesus Christ, a descendant of the king who is known as a man after God's own heart, so that when he died on the cross and did not stay dead, when he was rose again, come. Let's just try this one more time. Actually, Blessington, can you help me? You, you know what we need to do. Yeah, well, you know what we need to do right now. It's, it's Canada Day long weekend. And I got something in me that I got to get out, and you're not getting it until we get there. So. Can we get some keys?
Okay. Let's try this again. <laughs> Are you ready? So against all odds, God put in place a king, a king who was known as a man after God's own heart. And against all odds, he sent a descendant of that very king to fulfill the very promises and prophecies that God had laid up in Scripture that we could be, un, uh, we could be revealed before us. And so we discovered that that king is named Jesus. He died on a cross, but he did not stay dead. His body did not rot. He rose again because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the name above all names. And look, you mockers, be amazed or die. And that's how it went in that synagogue. That's just how it went. He, they, just, they just threw it down and they went. They go through all out history. And he just said, listen, you know our historical struggle. God always made a way. There was always a breakthrough. It's, this is how it would connect with you. You know your story. It's as if somebody stands up here, reads you your story, and said, and then God did this, and then God did this, and against all odds, God did this, and then he put your marriage back together, and then he put your family back together, then your kids got saved, and then you got healed. And that's what it was like. That's why at the end of it, they're like, "Can you? even though you told me to go die, could you come back next week? Because their whole, their whole understanding was based on what must I do to be saved? What animal do I need to kill? What sacrifice do I need to make? What do I got to do to be made right with God? And then Paul comes in, he drops the mic, and he says, everybody who believes in the name of Jesus must be saved by grace, through faith. No, through faith, by grace, whatever. <laughs> you must believe in Jesus. And in that moment, it's like, what? You mean I've been working for so long? You mean I've been trying to prove myself to, to my parents, to my teachers, to my rabbi? You mean I've been, I've been trying to prove myself to God, trying to make myself righteous before him, trying to live up to this law? And then Paul says, you know, Jesus does the one thing that the law could never do could never make you right and so now we have Jesus and they go what this is the promised one this is what our whole lifetime we've been told to wait for and believe for this whole lifetime we've been waiting for this one you tell me he's here and he's dead but he ain't dead he's back again yeah that's what I'm telling you come back again next week come to church next week I'm going to bring somebody with me. Somebody needs, to, someone needs to know that we're waiting for a guy that's already here. And yet most of us in this 21st century Christianity, we're waiting for somebody who's already here. We live our Christian lives waiting for Jesus. Jesus already came. Yeah, he's coming back. But Jesus already came. He already died. He already made you right if you believe and trust in him. He's risen from the dead and now he lives and he's living inside your heart and in your life and he's moving all around you and he's working in you and through you. Jesus is alive today and that gets me excited because it means that we're not worshiping some cross on a wall or an idol or a picture. We're worshiping the living God who is alive right now today. You're Come on. Not... Not some idea, not some concepts. That's why when we open up this book and we read it, and we're like, oh, that's nice. I wish that would happen now. God says, oh, wait, Matthew 28, I'll give you all authority, so go and make disciples. 
Oh, wait, you have all the authority to heal the sick, raise the dead. Oh, wait, Romans 8 says it's the same power that conquered the grave now lives in me. So if the power was good enough to get Jesus Christ up out of the grave, maybe it's good enough for me to see a breakthrough. Maybe it's good enough for me to turn the corner. Maybe it's good. Maybe that's just good enough because Jesus is enough. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus is more than enough. We don't just serve this dead God. We don't just come and sing Christian karaoke because we like to sing together. We like singing together, but what we like doing more is expressing the unexpressible in some sort of tangible fashion with hearts joined as one where we, don't ha- we understand that we're not alone, that we're not walking alone, that we're walking with Jesus. That Jesus is alive, and, and I understand that he's alive because in his praises he is enthroned, which means he becomes king in his praises. So we just sing some songs to get our hearts and our minds to get in the zone, in the space, to make Jesus king, to slide off the throne. That's why we sing together. Because we worship a God who is alive, and we don't just work with worship Him. We walk with Him. We talk with Him every single day, every single moment. He's doing something in your life right now. Like, I don't believe that. We talked about this last week. If you started as a 10 out of 10 jerk, and now you're a 7 out of 10 jerk, because God is refining your character, that means Jesus Christ is at work in you. It also means you're still a jerk, and there's still work to go. But that's a miracle. And I can tell you, somebody else is noticing that you are less of a jerk. And so they're going like, hey, I just got a quick question. You seem nicer. Right, it's the power of the living God, Jesus Christ, at work in my life. He's, rough, he's rounding out my rough edges. He's like, I'm, I'm still a 7 out of a 10. They're like, maybe an 8. I'm like, I'm a 7 out of 10. We should read the Bible. Don't you love having blessings? I love having blessings with us. Okay, so verse 43. Uh, let's go back to verse 42, Trina. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue to so drop the mic, leave the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. So the two just urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. Just trust Jesus step by step. What do we got to do? Well, you just need to trust Jesus. Verse 44, this is where things get crazy. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach. The word of the Lord. Yeah, I guess we're not catching the statistics. So the statistics are in Spruce Grove right now, there's 33,640 people that live in the city of Spruce Grove. 33,640. In the city of Antioch of Pisidia, there's roughly 50 to 51,000 people. So 20,000 more people than live here. In an average synagogue at that time, historically, in a town like this, which was mostly Gentiles, there was 200 to 250 people that would gather together on a good week. So roughly twice the size of what we'd have right here. 
week one, Paul and Barnabas shows up and says, listen, Jesus is alive, he's living, he's doing something in our life, he's doing something in your life, and you don't have to just perform, you don't have to just behave, what you have to do is just believe in Jesus and follow him, and all the other stuff is going to fall into alignment, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to like put on something, you don't have to become something that you're not, you just have to become the person that Jesus created you to be by inviting him in and following him and trusting him. So the next week, they have a church service, and instead of there being like 200 to 250, about 50,000 shows up. Okay? <laughs> you know, roughly, give or take, 50,000. So obviously, this building that they were in wasn't going to work. So historians tell us that they most likely moved to their large amphitheater, which basically accommodated about 47,000, so that's probably a better indication. But in case you were wondering, there was 31,828 people at the football game on Friday night. So more people came to church on week two than went to watch the Eskimos beat the Montreal Alouettes. Our Eskimos Commonwealth Stadium seats at max capacity 67,000. Rogers Place seats in concert configuration 20,734. So, if we're going to, like, see what this looks like in real life, we can cut numbers in half because there's about half the number of people that are in the room today. So, next week, we should be able to anticipate about 26,753 at church, which would almost cover the city. But we got, we got I guess we got Stoney's attendance taken care of. So you go, wow, okay, well, that's in the Bible. That's not going to happen here. And that's precisely why it won't. And I'm not going to beat you up about you don't believe enough, you don't have faith enough, you don't. There's no point in that. All this week, though, I've been singing this old Matt Redman song. Um, Can a nation be changed? Can a nation be changed? Nation be turned back to you. We're on our knees. Power ballad course. We're on our knees again. You know, Michael Bolton, <laughs> hair flying, silk shirt. We're on our knees again. And I love that song. That took me back. Old school worship together with Paul Oakley and Matt Redman. That took me back. I started asking myself the question, okay, so this is like, I guess we would call this revival because we don't know what else to call it. Paul and Barnabas would call it Saturday because it was Sabbath so Saturday. You and I might call it Sunday. But it comes back to the question, what might happen if I believe that Jesus Christ was the son of God who came, died on the cross for me, who's now living, who's at work in my life. And it's so good that he's even rounding off my rough edges that nobody else wants to, that he's putting my life and my family and my, my future together, that he can speak to me personally in the midst of a group of people when I just show up randomly on a Sunday, that he could just speak right into my life and know the exact things that I needed to hear on this day. Could you imagine if just one person, by this math, if just one person was got more excited about that than they did about just anything else? I mean, we saw what could happen in a city when the Oilers made a playoff. 
right? I guess we're getting engaged car flags for everybody. And I, I don't just want to make a, a big comparison. I just don't want to puff that stuff off. I want to have us a real thought and, a, and a, a consideration for a moment of the power of one person's story. Because the math is exponential. From 200 to 50,000, it wasn't like each person, you know, brought one person. I'm not even going to try the math. I should have done it in advance. I'm not going to do it on the fly. Someone who's smarter than me can do it right now. 50,000 brought by 200 people. We each brought a whole bunch of people. But there was no buses and there was no cars. So how did they do it? The power of a story, the power of a testimony. See, when reading straight data, only the, only the language parts of our brain work out to decode the meaning. But when we read a story, not only do the language parts of our brains light up, but any other part of the brain that we would use if we were actually experiencing what we're reading about becomes activated as well. What this means for us is that it's far easier for us to remember the stories and the cold hard facts because our brains make little distinction between an experience we're reading about or hearing and one that is actually happening. That's the scientific basis for the power of a story, the power of a testimony. What's the key verse in this whole series? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You're going to be on the stand, the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. This is what God is doing in my life. This is Jesus Christ at work in me. And that's why we read these stories, these like campfire stories that you talk about. Man, you know, how crazy would it be if like there's 200 and then there's like 50,000? It's amazing. That's a the kind of thing you say for a campfire at night just before bed. That could never happen here. But if it ha- could happen then, why can't it happen now? If it could happen there, why can't it happen here? See, I'm, I'm an early adopter type of personality. And what that means is I love new things. Like I love new technology. I want to be like the first one in on like if there's an app or if there's a a new phone or if there's like whatever I just I want it and then I want you to have it because it's so amazing for me that I just think everyone should have it I'm like Brendan Paulson you need to go buy this 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 and this and this and he's like bro I cannot afford that I'm like get a second job you need it you need this I get so excited about stuff like like stuff that you don't care about like these microphones like I care a lot about these things I get, like, I care about things that you don't care about so that you don't have to care about them so that we can create an opportunity and environment for you to come and experience Jesus Christ without any distraction. But then I care so much about random things that I just want you to know it and I want you to have it because it's it's unbelievable. I wonder what might happen if we began to tell the stories of Jesus at work in our lives with the same passion that we told the stories of our favorite product or brand or Netflix show that we binge watched that you just talked about in the lobby. On social media, I wonder if we posted as much about 
the work of Jesus Christ and what he's doing, but not in like a Jesus is awesome kind of way, but like in a real, true, authentic, listen, my life is a hot mess. I'm not all together right now, but I'm incrementally better because every day I'm walking with Jesus and his mercies are new every morning. And I might not be there yet, but I'm on my way because God is at work in my life right now. And it's so good and it's so amazing. And I feel so alive because Jesus is alive that you just need to hear this and read this. I wonder if, if, if we posted that with the same amount of passion that we post about the newest product or mar- multi-level marketing thing that we're involved in. I wonder if more people might come to church on the next Sunday to experience the power of Jesus. And I'm not trying to insult anybody. I'm just trying to say, you're like, well, this product will change your life. Exactly. His name is Jesus Christ. He died on a cross 2,000 years ago. He rose to, he's going to change your life. Yes, this iPhone is going to change your life. It's going to change your life. It makes your life so much simpler. You know what makes your life simpler? Jesus. So can a nation be changed? Sure. When do you want to start? I don't know. When, when, when do you want to start? You've been listening to the Engage Life, powered by Engage City Church. If you like what you heard, check out engagechurch.ca.